And now we come to the story of Samson. And much like the story of Moses or even Jesus, we get insight to the events preceding his birth and the significance of his parents. And we pick it up in verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, alcoholic drink. Do not eat anything unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome, but I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or summer drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said, Look, the man who came to me the other day has, has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Let's pause there for a minute. This is the introduction. It's so similar to like Zacharias in the temple, you know, with the announcement by the angel with John the Baptist and the son that they would have. After being barren all those years, Elizabeth would conceive and bear a miracle child there in the New Testament. And we have conception with women who have been barren in the Old Testament, Sarah and Rebecca, and even Rachel, and then Hannah. And so here we have Manoah's wife, and there she is. And this whole situation unfolds. So obviously it's very important, the pregnancy period of the life of Samson, just like John the Baptist and Jesus. It gets our attention, because in the Bible, the Bible's a big book, and we don't get something like this very often which makes it more significant and stand out to us with it. Now, what makes Samson's Nazarite calling different than as it was described for us in the book of Numbers when we went through Numbers and Leviticus and the law there with the Nazarite vow, that the Nazarite vow was a volitional will vow that a man would take. He would volunteer at some point in time in his life. He just says, hey, I'm going to consecrate myself this way. I'm going to do these things, the Nazarite vow, we don't touch a dead body, we don't touch things unclean, we don't drink alcohol, and no razor cuts our hair, and when we are done with our vow, our hair becomes an offering. And those of you who were around when we studied that uh, during the kind of the beginning of the whole COVID experience, I think I taught it when we were outside, that's what that relates to. But that was a choice. That was a choice that you would make as an adult, or a young adult, like I suppose you could make it as a teenager. 
But you'd say, hey, I want to do this. I want to seek the Lord in a special way. I want to consecrate myself to the Lord in a special way. And it's like this, you know, and we can do that. We, we've seen this. We've talked about this when we studied the Nazarite Valley. It's always a good thing if we choose to consecrate ourselves above and beyond maybe what our normal life would have. It's a good thing. When Daniel was in ba- uh, Babylon, they, they wanted to be the vegetarians and not eat the meat. And they said, look, let us prove to you that our diet is better and we don't want to worship this meat that's uh, against the law of God, this particular type of meat like pork and whatnot, and set apart. Daniel also fasted in the book of Daniel. And we've seen that there are fasts are like fasts from food. There can be food water fast. There could be fast, we could, you know, you could fast from anything. Like you could fast from surfing, you could fast from entertainment. There's different things like that you just say, hey, we're going to consecrate ourselves a certain way to really dial it in, the frequency with the Lord, and be set apart. But again, with that Nazarite vow, that's something that a man or a woman, it was designed for men in the Old Testament, but if we take the principle for the church, where there's neither male nor female, but we're both one, the principle would be like a man or a woman saying, hey, I'm going I'm to set myself apart in a little extra way for a given period of time to draw near to the Lord. But again, this is from, this is, there's no choice on this one for Samson. From the time he's born to the time he dies, keep that in mind as we study his life over the next few weeks, God says he's set apart. Much like it says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I called you and ordained you and sanctified you a prophet to the nations. So very similar, Jeremiah, who is going to use the excuse, I'm a youth, the Lord says, don't say you're a youth. You're going to do what I call you to do. And we've talked about the call of God and those purposes that God has on our life. And we talk about the value of every life, that all lives matter, and everyone has a calling and a purpose, and that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But we have to say, and we know this from our own experiences of observation and also from the Scripture, sometimes God just says, this person, like Elisha, they get a double portion. Some people just get a little more mojo for the kingdom. They do. Like some people just, just like in life, some people just have, uh, they have more options of what they can do. Again, like our son Luke, he can play the piano from memory, he can wake up with a song in his head, he can speak Mandarin, he can be the high school quarterback, like he just, he can tell you every muscle in your brain, once he learns it once, he never forgets it. Like that's just something that you just can't, Sarah Yardley's very similar that way, like Sarah Yardley's one of the smartest people on planet earth, she comes from a family of geniuses, and Sarah Yardley's serving the Lord there in England, it's the same thing, Sarah Yardley can just pick up a language like that, she can lead things, she, she can meet with you know, Prime Minister Boris, whatever, you know, or she could, she could have met with Maggie Thatcher, like she just, she's that person, but in the kingdom of God, there's a similar thing where sometimes God just says, this person is very, very special. And it might not be a long life. John the Baptist's life was not that long. It might be a short life. We just saw how Jephthah only had six years after he became the judge, right? Remember with Jephthah? I mean, I'm still thinking about it. Jephthah only had six years. You know, son of a harlot, all that he went through, cast out by his brothers, but then called back to lead them and take on the, the Ammonites and have victory. And he only lived six years. That's, a, that's, that's not long. But what a powerful life he has with the whole chapter in the book of Judges. So this is God's plan. It's just the way it is. And we should rejoice when God puts a double portion on someone's life. And we should appreciate what God's doing in that person's life. We should rejoice in it. And we should be inspired by it. We should. Because Samson had no choice in this. This was predetermined by the Lord that this is what it was going to be like for him. Kind of like Pastor Chuck. 
Because, of course, Pastor Chuck's older sister, before he was born, was a two-year-old and died. And his parents were non-believers. And they took the dead body of his sister and ran down the streets of the Pentecostal church. And they made, they cried out to the Lord and they made a promise to God that if God would save their daughter, that they would dedicate their next child to the Lord. And that is exactly what happened. Pastor Chuck's sister at two before he was born was miraculously healed. She was dead. And then Pastor Chuck was born and he was Corbin, dedicated to the Lord. And you look at Pastor Chuck's life. I mean, all those kids going to elementary school in Ventura in the 30s, they all go see Snow White. He doesn't go see Snow White. Like, you and I don't think it's a big deal to go see Snow White, right? Like, what, what's Snow White? But when you hear Pastor Chuck teach about it in the 2000 series, in the 70s, and he talks about what, is, what a significant thing it was for him because the class was going to see Snow White in the theater. But he didn't go. Just a little more set apart. Did he have the liberty to go see Snow White? Of course he did. But Pastor Chuck was set apart for something so much bigger than any of his classmates in elementary school in Ventura in the 30s. And we see this time and time again with certain people God uses in special ways. And we don't want to be jealous of that. We want to rejoice in that. And if anything, we want to say like, hey, there, there's a special double portion there. What can I do to get more of what God wants to do in my life? That's really what we would say. He's just set apart. And, you know, Manoah's interesting because he says, what will be the boy's rule of life? Don't dads always want to know what the kid's going to do? Is he an athlete? Is he a musician? Is he a politician? Or is he a banker? You know, my boy. Oh, my boy. My boy's going to be smart. My boy's going to run a business. My boy's going to play for USC. You know, like that's, that's what dads do. What will be the manner of his business? Dads are, you know, dads are funny. And praise the Lord if you get to be a grandpa, because then you know not to be a dad, because you already were a dad. If you know what I mean, you know what I mean. Manoah wants to know, like, a little more information. And you know what does angel say? Hey, just your wife does what I told her to do. There's no new revelation on this, right? Did you catch that? The, the angel Lord doesn't say, which is probably Jesus, will come that in a moment, doesn't say like, hey, well, now that you're here, dad, you're here. And, you know, I only talked to your wife last time, but now you're here and you're the big boss. So I'm going to give you more information. Man, your son is going to be the starting quarterback from Jerusalem High School. You know, like he's going to be a modern day. He's going to win CIF titles. It's like, no, there's no, like, no, what I told your wife, that's what's in play. Oh, okay. There, there's no new revelation. You, it, the angel of the Lord never adds to what he already told Manoah's wife. <laughs> like, but God, the dads want to know a little bit more. Yeah. You know, when we lost our first son, I had all these ideas what my son was going to be like when he grew up. We knew we were called to Virginia to start a church in Virginia. And I grew up in Charlottesville and, you know, going to University of Virginia basketball games. And I had this idea in my mind that our son, Jesse, that he, he would play point guard because he's going to be short like me. And he's played point guard for University of Virginia and the ACC. That's what he was going to do. That's what he was going to do. He was going to win, he was going to win an NCAA championship. He's going to do what Ralph Sampson didn't do. My son was going to do all that. And then the Lord took him. And then God gave us Hannah. 
And Hannah became Corbin to the Lord. And you'll see it with your own eyes. On Saturday and Friday, you'll see it with your own eyes. Why we call her the prophetess. Because she is. She, she speaks the future. She speak, at two years old, she speaks to oracles of God. You know, two years old, we were praying in a, in, there in our Hillary's courthouse in Virginia Beach. She was two. And we were praying like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for my daddy and all that. And then all of a sudden, she went in this prayer about these evil men and their plot against the church and against me and all this stuff. Things a two-year-old would never, ever say. And then she went back to a two-year-old prayer, and it was a word from the Lord for what I needed to deal with in the church. More than once, I've, I've literally gone into Hannah's room when she was a preteen. Hey, Hannah, this situation is going on, and I'm really upset about this, and it could be this or that. What do you think? I think you should stick to the plan. And I did. You know, when I won the world championship in Mexico in 2000, uh, in 1998, in, in 1998, before I won, she drew a picture of the crowd cheering me as the champion and sent it to me before I won. And so when I was on the podium, I had it and I showed it on the podium to the world. And people were like, wait, how did that happen? Did that just get faxed to you in Puerto Escondido? No, it was sent the day before. And I'll say this for those in ministry, Sam, future pastors, when you see a double portion on somebody, man, you get behind that. When you see that, you get behind that. How do you explain Greg Laurie? How do you explain Greg Laurie? Seven different dads, all the gospel tracks in his drawer while he's fighting the Lord going to Newport Harbor High. And there he is leading the Easter service with Donald Trump two years ago during COVID. Yeah. So we, we just re- rejoice and embrace what God has when he sets someone apart. You say, wow, look at that. And by the way, my son-in-law that Hannah married has a double portion as well. And if you've ever heard Nate teach, like, that's really obvious. God has different things. We embrace ours and we respect things. But if you find someone that has a double portion, keep them encouraged and keep them going forward. Because if they have a double portion, they have a double battle. Right? (laughs) They do. They don't just have enemies. They have twice as many enemies. Samson had serious enemies. So we read on again for the rest of the chapter. The manner of life is spiritual. That's what it is. It's not football or basketball or music or education. The manner of life of your son is spiritual. He's a Nazarite. Not by man's choice or even his choice, but by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's what he is. So listen to your wife. And watch me go up in a flame of fire. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you offer a burnt offering, then must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name when your words come to pass, and we may honor you? And the angels of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? You know, like Isaiah the prophet said of Jesus, his name is wonderful. The only other person called wonderful in the Bible is Jesus. Prophetically, wonderful. So Manoah, verse 19, took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it upon the rock to the Lord, and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. 
Of course, Jesus ascended before his disciples, apostles as well. He ascended. And remember, the ascending, the dimension of eternity opens up. So we don't see the spiritual and eternal right now. We do only see time, space, and matter in this room. But over this room right now is eternity. And so like when Elijah chariot came for Elisha, the, the curtain, the portal, if you will, opens up of the other dimension of eternity. And that's exactly what happened here. The angel Lord goes up. He doesn't just keep going up and up, 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 you know, into the stratosphere and to the moon and a blaze of fire. He goes up and the dimension opens and then it closes like a stage theater, boom. It opens and it closes. That's like when the Son of Man is with Meshach, Shachar, and Abednego in the fire. He's there, and eternity supersedes it, so no one smells like fire in the fire. No one gets burnt in the fire. The dimension's open, and it's over it, and then he pulls back, and they come out of it, and the other guys fall and get burned in it. That's what happens. The universe is multidimensional. It's more than triune because the spiritual and the eternal is over it. And so the angel Lord goes up, and, and then it says that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame, and when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Yeah, this is what we talk about. Whenever eternity comes to time, that people fall on their faces, and they should. And when the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we've seen God. And we know the Bible says that no one can see God and live. Yet Jesus, it says of Jesus in the New Testament, that no one has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten of the Father, the Son, he has declared him to us. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I and my Father are one. And before Abraham, I am. And he took the name Jehovah to himself, by which and for which his enemies took up stones. I mean, remember, Jesus wasn't crucified because he's a criminal. He's crucified because he claimed to be God. And you'll not see me again until you see me at the right hand of power. So that's what we see there. So, Verse 22, Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we've seen God, but not so in this case, because Jesus is the meter between God and men. But his wife said to him, if the Lord has desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such as these things at this time. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manoah, Dan between Zora and Eshtal. So our geographical location here where Samson growing up is, it's just a little bit to the west of Jerusalem, about 15 miles descending the foothills, going toward Tel Aviv. That's where the tribe of Dan was in that territory at that time. And so we see that the child's growing, the child's blessed, the Spirit of the Lord's upon the child. Think how blessed Manoah's wife was and the joy that the child brought her. So much joy, because certainly in that society, to be barren was a, a, a mark against you. People would just naturally think like you did something wrong or your parents did or somebody. And much like Elizabeth in the New Testament with John the Baptist, so special. And they didn't have to manufacture anything for their child. They didn't have to come up with some great plan of all the things their child would do and set aside funds to go to private education and all these things and, and this and that and anything else. They didn't have to worry about government or oppressive governments or anything like that. All they had to do was consecrate their son to the Lord. In a sense, his mom became a Nazarite when she was pregnant with him. That's how powerful the calling was on his life while she was pregnant. And the Nazarite would be, again, the no alcohol, no touching dead bodies, and the hair does not get cut because it represents the power and the glory of the Lord upon your life. We say this is the, the Lord Jesus Christ because the angel of the Lord, Jesus takes the title of the angel of the Lord in the New Testament 
And this is the third time we've seen the angel of the Lord in the book of Judges. We saw it in chapter 2, and we also saw it with Gideon when he's threshing the wheat. And I'm going to just put out there before we move on to chapter 14, that in the darkest of times, and one could argue that the time of Judges was without a doubt the darkest of time in Jewish history, that's when Jesus is doing the most, whether we know it or not. And in the darkest times of your personal life, that's where you're going to be seeing Jesus at work. That's That's when he's going to be working. And it's like that poster of the footsteps, right? There's only one pair of footsteps in our darkest times, and we think the Lord abandoned us, but in fact, he's actually carrying us. In the darkest of times, the angel of the Lord comes to those who are threshing wheat in fear, to those who are barren and heartbroken, and he comes with a plan so much bigger than we can even imagine in our fear of Ammonites, what's going on, or Philistines. Such a bigger plan. It's always a bigger plan, and we can trust him the Spirit began to move. And this is what links this story with New Testament and the book of Acts. Because as the Spirit moved upon Samson, that was very unique and very special with his consecration. But what is universal for the church is we don't need a double portion to have the Spirit moving on us. Because we're told that we are born of the Spirit when we give our life to Christ. And we are told to be Spirit-filled, to accept responsibility to pursue the things of the Spirit. And we're told that God wants to pour Spirit out on us and to use us. So in that sense, we can create by humility and obedience, we can put in a position to have more spiritual power in our life. Because after all, Jesus said, seek, knock, and ask. And to him who seeks, knocks, and asks, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? Luke chapter 11. We need the Spirit of God moving upon people in 2021, in the last month of the year. And we need more of the Spirit of God moving upon our lives. And we need to pursue the things. When we write down our goals, what we want to do in the last month of the year, and we're looking ahead to 2022, and you should write down your goals. And you should look at them every day. Spiritual, practical, financial, marriage, relational, job, community, citizen of America, citizen of planet Earth. You should be writing down goals. You should. And what I've been learning this year is not just to write them down, but look at them every single day. Because it motivates me, and it reminds me, and it spurs me on and challenges me to keep moving in the direction. That famous John Wooden quote, the basketball coach at UCLA, make each day its own masterpiece. And I have found that if I seek the Lord first and I remind myself what are my goals as I feel led by the Lord, I'm moving toward that masterpiece of what my life is meant to be one day at a time. And days become weeks and weeks become months and months become seasons and seasons become years and years become decades and decades become a lifetime. That's, that's the journey we're on. The Spirit of the Lord began to move, and we want the Spirit of the Lord to really be moving in our lives as we move into December and to get after it. Now, chapter 14, we, we now come up on Samson as an adult. So he was just predetermined, like it says in Ephesians. Just Who can argue with that? He's not even conceiving the womb, and, and the angel of the Lord is declaring what his life will be, that he'll begin to deliver. That's what he's going to do. And we can trust in the sovereignty of God while holding responsible for the self-determination and free will of man. And there's a mystery to it, but they're both there, and we embrace both of them. And I don't completely understand them, but I embrace both of them. Chapter 14, it says this, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman. So he's a grown man. He's a grown man. He went down and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. When you're the only son, you know, sometimes it goes that way. 
Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? That's the kind of conversation of adult children, by the way. I'm like, really? Like, is there... <laughs> if you ever try to reason with your adult children sometimes, like, 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 what are you thinking, son? Like, you're set apart. Why are you choosing something that's obviously disobedience to the revealed will of the Lord? And what's been one of our problems for the last 300 years around here is Israeli guys going with Moabite, Canaanite, Philistine women. And being unequally yoked. And Samson said to his father, just, just get her for me, for she pleases me well. And she, she was hot. And he's young. He said, I'm Samson, man. Pop, you know, you said you do anything for me. I'm your only son. Like, give me this woman. And they're like, man, just pick a wife from the tribe of Benjamin or Dan. Like, start with your own tribe. And then, like, Samson, your whole life, everything. It's preparing you for this moment. What are you thinking? Then it says in verse 4, but his father and mother did not know this was of the Lord and that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. This is a very important verse. And this is the one that people would call like to every man an answer or pastor's perspective and say, how could this work? And I'm not completely sure, but let me just say this. God can redeem anything. He makes donkeys talk. God can redeem anything. But just because he redeems something, we should never think that that's plan A. Plan A is Samson being attracted to Israelite women of the covenant. That's plan A. That's the clear revealed word of the Lord in the law of the Lord in Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Exodus. When you come to what you don't know, why is Samson dating a Philistine woman and why is this of the Lord? You come back to what you do know. And we do know that God doesn't contradict himself. It's not yes and no with the Lord, and God's not a liar. It's impossible for him to lie. So we do know God said no intermarriage with the Canaanites of the land. But it's funny when you start to justify things, how you can find a way. What, you know, in ministry, we all do this, but in ministry, you really see it. When people just begin to kind of justify things and you just kind of work it a little bit and work it a little bit and work it a little bit. And, you know, you're, you're, you're like, I say it's like you're like Drizella walking around with Cinderella's slipper on. Look, it really fits. Actually, it doesn't. But if you force it, you can make it seem like it does. The obvious is the obvious. That's always going to be the right thing. So worship generation, we're reminded yet again. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And the things that are revealed is his word. And to obey his word is always right. And I testify this. All the good things in my life for 34 years are the result of obeying his word in my personal life, in my marriage, in my family, in the ministry. All the bad things in my life that are self-inflicted. By the way, I saw a great quote from Bill Belichick, Patriots coach. Early on in the season, when they lost like four of their first five games, he said, we're not going to start winning until we stop beating ourselves. Do you ever feel like you beat yourself? Like you're your own worst enemy? Yeah. I think we know that feeling. Saul would put a spin on things as the king of Israel. And Samuel just said, like, shut your mouth. Does the Lord take delight in the sacrifice of bulls and goats? 
but in obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice, and stubbornness and rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Even if you're the king of Israel, and you're like, well, I didn't do this, and the people took the goats, and Agag, you know, I didn't know what to do. It's like, stop, just, you were told one thing to do, go wipe out the Amalekites, and that includes everything and everybody. Now you're blaming the people, and now you're justifying things. And you're saying, let's make a sacrifice. So easy to do. But just knowing everything we face from here to eternity, and we all face things from here to eternity, that the word of God is very clear that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work and to make good decisions. The word of God gives us knowledge, and its context and application gives us understanding. And the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom how to apply it to our life personally. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it liberally. But let him not do so as a double-minded man. Let not that man or woman suppose to receive anything from the Lord for like a, a wave tossed in the sea to and fro by the wind. When we come to what we don't know, we roll with what we do know. God could make, take an, an occasion against the Philistines without Samson going after a Philistine woman. There was another way to obey his bear in the sacrifice. But by God's grace, we've seen how he redeems things. It's amazing how he does it. That's why we sing amazing grace, right? That's why we sing amazing grace. Because as long as you walk with the Lord, you should fall more in love with the Lord and be amazed with the grace and that we're saved, if you're saved. It's amazing. Now we read on. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So here's the Spirit of the Lord again on him again. This time a lion, like a mountain lion, like you're walking in Big Bear, the backside of Green Valley at Calvary Chapel up there, and all of a sudden here's a mountain lion. This would be terrifying. A young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Yeah, you know why? Because he's not supposed to touch a dead body. That's why. Once he killed it. He doesn't tell them, he didn't tell them what he did. And then when he got the honey, he doesn't tell them where it came from. Because when he got the honey, he touched the dead body. It's enough that he's hanging out in a vineyard in Timnah. But he's not supposed to drink alcohol or anything from the vine. So if you're not supposed to drink alcohol, you probably shouldn't be hanging out in a liquor store. Right? Newland in Atlanta? Like, if you have a drinking problem, don't hang out at that liquor store where they have the sign for kegs. You know? If you're not supposed to touch dead bodies, don't go back to the lion and get the honey out of its body and make a riddle out of it, which is what he's going to do. He didn't tell his father and mother. Then he went down and talked with his, the woman, and she pleased Samson well. <laughs> you wonder if he's even listening to her. He's like, gosh, you're so hot. Like... <laughs> She pleased Samson well. And we'll see what he got. After some time, when she returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hand and went along eating. So see when his hand, see, that's, there he is. That's, not, that's a no-no for the Nazarite. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. You don't tell your church-going parents who sent you to a private Christian school that you're being a naughty boy taking honey out of the dead lion. That's why you don't. And then you tell your siblings, don't tell, your, don't tell mom and dad. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men. 
used to do so. And it happened when they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I'll give you 30 garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then, then, uh, you know, then you're going to, if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. They said, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Now just remember, these are Philistines and there's an Israelite. So this is like, this is what you don't do at the family gathering at Thanksgiving. Like, these are two different ideologies and worldviews. This is the conversation you're not going to have. You talk about the Rams and the Chargers. You're not going to talk about this. And you're definitely not going to set it up where you can take something from them or they take something from you. It can get away from you right here. These are your future in-laws and their family and their friends. This is a bad idea. I'm going to pose a riddle to you. Why? Are you smarter than us, Samson? Are you going to take advantage of us? I'm going to pose a riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we'll burn you and your father's house with fire. Wow. That's harsh, man. Isn't that what they threatened? Go back to what we just saw with... uh, it was a threat against Gideon from the Ephraimites. Yeah, and they did the same thing for Jephthah. They threatened to burn down the house. So evidently, if you're in the time of Judges, when you had a dispute with your neighbors, you just go burn their house down. Because that's, that's what the Ephraimites threatened Gideon and Jephthah with. And then we got this going here. Like, we'll threaten to we'll burn your house down. Like, man, tough time. So entice him, we're going to burn your house down. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And then he said to her, Look, I've not explained it to my father or my mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him in the seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people, so the men of the city came to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. And they say, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said, if you'd not plow with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. So here's God's spirit again. And he went down to Eshkelon, killed 30 men, 30 of their men from a Philistine city, took their apparel and gave the change of clothing to those who explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. That's a bad wedding going from bad to worse. Like, this is really bad. Like, it's bad to worse. Um, one thing that does jump out at us is Samson's wife. So, she's, she's choosing, she's agreed to kind of cross ethnic lines and cultural lines to, she's taking it on. You know, it's an interracial marriage. She's taking it on. She's agreed to it. But before they even get away from the initial wedding party and in the honeymoon time, she's betrayed her husband. She chose her people over her husband. And in Genesis, it says that two become one flesh. And for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. And that principle applies to the wife as well. That's why we say leave and cleave, you know. And we, we know that so often family can muddle and create difficulties for a marriage especially interracial marriages or very different cultural marriages. 
and just even same ethnicity can still be super manipulative, controlling and stuff. But she, she, didn't, she didn't stand by her man. She didn't choose her man. She chose fear of her house being burned down. Her husband just went and killed 30 people to fulfill losing the riddle. Like, that's when you press into your husband and you ask him about his faith and his God. Because can Dagon, the fish God, really deliver you from your neighbor starting to burn your house down? But Samson is the anointed one of Israel, and there's the living God. But, you know, the Jews are subject to the Philistines, so maybe Dagon, the fish God, is stronger than Jehovah. But she didn't, she, didn't, she didn't have her man's back. Wives, it's really important. The sons of Adam need help. And if you're married, if you're not, then in divorce, what, forget it. But if you're married, your husband, it's really good if you stand by your man. I've often said in my 34 years of marriage that my wife has so many incredible strengths, but one of them is she has never let anyone come between us. She's the only one that can put me in my place and the Lord. But she has never, like, she would never, she has never embarrassed me publicly. She has never been a part of any coalition to come against me. And God has honored that to my benefit and to hers as well. She didn't stand by her man. She could have and she should have. Her man was, had the spirit of the Lord upon him. Yeah, her man was stupid. Why invite 30 people and pose a riddle that you're going to take something from? Yeah, husbands are stupid. They do stupid things. And that's why God gives them a helper, a wife to help them not be less stupid. And that's why you pray and you intercede for your husband. So he finds mercy when he's stupid. And you can build him up when he crashes and burns. Not, not all men will let you do that for him, ladies. Some men refuse to be helped. But if you're married, stand by your man. And obviously stand by your woman. That goes without saying as well. See, he said, if you had not plowed with my heifer. What a phrase for betraying your husband. That was his perspective. If you guys had not plowed with my heifer. Like, man. That just doesn't sound good. You know what I'm saying? I just, that sounds vile. That sounds violating. It's, it's kind of defiling the way it sounds. You plowed with my heifer. It, it has sort of like, huh. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like purity, that's for sure. It's a strong term. Chapter 15, because we need to read this chapter tonight. It's a short chapter. We read on, because the story goes on. After a while... In the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I should be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. And he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. 
So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father's house with fire. Burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter, and then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock at Etam. So this whole wedding fiasco and this bad marriage before he even got started, it all comes to a head and rolls here into chapter 15. But one thing that gets my attention right away is, wow, Samson's wife betrayed him, and she still got burned by the Philistines. She still died in the fire. Her fear of the fire motivated her actions against the Spirit of God, her commitment to her husband and the things that God had for her, like Rahab experienced and others like her. But instead, moved by fear, she loses her husband and then she still dies the death she was afraid of. Fear always sells, but it rarely wins, especially when it's the fear of man and the fear of the unknown. There was a moment in the previous chapter where she could have trusted in the Lord and stood by her man, and it would have all worked out. She would have crossed from darkness to light, but she chose fear. And that fear was the very thing that how she did die. But when your faith is in Jehovah, the great I am that I am, we don't have to fear dying, and we don't have to fear the threats of men. And we should be just drawn near to the Lord and loving him and loving the people that he's called us to love and be closest to. She was moved by fear, and she made bad decisions based upon fear. And the very thing she feared, how she would die, is exactly how she died. Meanwhile, Samson, he loses his wife that... I wonder if he had nightmares about the touching the dead lion and the honey and the riddle. Like, it all seems so like, you know, kind of like, like cocky guys, like arrogant guys. Like, that's fine. Yeah, man, I killed this lion. It's my honey. Like, I killed the lion. I can take honey from it. I killed it. I mean, dude, I, I killed a lion, man. That's my honey. It's like, but I didn't tell my parents. And I didn't tell my wife. And I got this, I, I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with these guys. I got a riddle they can never solve, and I'm going to show my superiority to them. I am the big man on campus. But when it's all said and done, the woman he was drawn to and wanted to spend his life with, or at least made that commitment to, he lost her. He killed 30 innocent lives because he said, this time I'll be guiltless. In other words, he lived with the guilt of killing the 30 men to take their stuff to give to these guys who he lost the bet to. You know, they say in war, the first person you kill is the hardest. You throw up, you go through all that stuff because it's very unnatural to kill someone. But after that, the more you kill, the easier the killing gets, especially if it's war. And you're not a psychopath or a sociopath, but you're a murderer or a serial killer, but you're actually a soldier, and it's what you have to do. It's kill or be killed. And you just become sort of desensitized to it. And he felt that guilt. He lost the woman he loved, and he felt the guilt of having to kill the 30 innocent men. They're Philistines, but yeah, but he still, he felt that guilt to pay off that debt. His big mouth and his pride got him in a lot of trouble, and now he's, there's no wife, there's no younger daughter of the wife, whatever. It's the, the, they're gone. The Timonite is gone. He's dead. His actions resulted in the death of innocent people it's a really bad story. You know, I've said this about Judges. There's, there's parts of the book of Judges that go like, oh, gosh. 
But if you live to be 60, you see this happen in people's lives. Maybe not the same storyline, but you see people who do this. People who burn other people, mock them, take advantage of them, steal from them, steal from the innocent and give to people this way or whatever. Like, this, is, this, is, this is humanity. This, this is what can happen. And then so Samson, with the supernatural power, goes out and there's a great slaughter. He's now in a... You know, we've seen armies of the Lord like Deborah and Barak, and we've seen Gideon and um, Othniel and even uh, Ehud. We've seen these judges and Jephthah inspire people and raise an army of people to, for military and war. Samson never inspires an army. He's a one-man army. He's a one-man army. He's a one-man killing machine for war. And yet the spirit of the Lord's upon him. It's, it's messy business. War is messy business. And now we close out the chapter. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come out up against us? So they answered, we've come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he's done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock and eat him and said to Samson, do you not know the Philistines rule over us? What is this you've done? You know, you'd think you'd be thanking the guy that just wiped out some of your oppressors. But when you capitulate, you capitulate. And you just... How often do people who are trying, that God's trying to rescue blame their rescuers? Quite often, to be honest. And he said to them in verse 11, the back part, as they did to me, so I've done to them. But they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And then Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into the hand, to their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So here's the spirit of the Lord again. This is God working and it's war. And the ropes that were on his arm became like flax that burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose with his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Ramoth Lehi, literally jawbone. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name en which is in Lehi to this day, and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So here in this second chapter, 15, concerning Samson, we kind of get the sum total of his life, that this great battle happened and went the way it went. He had the initial attack on 30 Philistines and all that it cost him, the whole thing with the family, the the wife and his in-laws. Then the avenging of his wife and his wife's family, and then they come out against him and this great slaughter of over a 1,000 men. Samson with the Spirit of the Lord upon him, supernaturally killed a thousand men in hand-to-hand combat. This, this is radical. This happened in time, space, and matter. But this went down. 
And like so often with miracles, you say like, oh man, like wow, this really happened. In such a dark time in human history, the Spirit of God came upon this man and he accomplished these supernatural things in war. It's, it's, it's amazing. It, it really is. But these, the Philistines, the enemies of God, they were supposed to be wiped out in the first place. And they were under the judgment of God. And God supernaturally equipped Samson to fulfill that judgment because it said the Lord was seeking occasion. We saw that back in verse 4 of chapter 14. And this was the occasion. So Samson has this great victory. And then he's a judge for 20 years. But one thing I'll just close with on verse 18. It says he became very thirsty and cried out to the Lord. So often when God does great things with our life, he'll allow us to be completely broken and completely helpless to know that it wasn't us that did it. So when he defeated the lion and pulls the honey out of the lion's belly and all that stuff, and he's like, hey, you know, I did this. What is sweet? And that. This time he just has this total victory. And he just said, I did this. But of course the Lord did it. And we'll see in two weeks how it all ends. But he was thirsty and he was broken. And he actually thought he might die. But the Lord split the hollow. But God split the hollow place. God was with him. And, you know, we find ourselves in our personal lives at any given time in very unusual and quirky situations, don't we? We, we find ourselves with Rubik's Cubes that can't be resolved and, and settled sometimes. And we're like, Lord, how are we going to get out of this? Like, this is like a, a chime, wind chime tangled up, and I don't see how this can ever... We had a chime in 2011 when we lived in an apartment in Huntington. They got tangled up, and I could never untangle it. And my son-in-law, Jacob, was sure he could do it, and even he couldn't do it. That time could not be untangled. It was like an unresolvable Rubik's Cube. We really liked the time. We got it in Cambria on a vacation. It, it meant a lot to us, but we just couldn't be, couldn't be it. There are times where it's just complexity in our life and great battles and regret for things we've done and things that happened to us. And we can't go back and change any of it, but we can ask for the Spirit of the Lord to be upon us. We can ask for the Lord to refresh us and to sustain us and keep us going forward. Samson, the summary of his life is he judged 20 years. And he sure kept the bad guys in check for 20 years. And that's a good legacy of his life. So we have his life before he was born, the flashpoint of his wedding day and all that happened there, and then the summary of 20 years. And when we come back here in two weeks, we'll get his last, his last few months and how it ended. And we'll keep learning from Samson. But I think there's plenty of application here that we'll go home with tonight thinking about. So may the Lord encourage you and speak to all of us, but ultimately, the, the ultimate thing in this text is three times the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and uh, he was called to wipe out enemies. We're called to love and forgive enemies, and that's probably harder than wiping them out. Wouldn't you agree?